Our scripture reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 1, 9 through 11, and chapter 12, 29 through 30. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jen. Well, good morning, North Cross. It's good to be with you all uh, again. My name is Andrew. Boys, what on the... RUF campus minister up the road at Davidson College. Um, thanks for having me back. Uh, because I work with college students, uh, because I'm a college campus minister, um, that means that I, uh, I dabble in the world of stickers. Uh, we've got lots of stickers, and in fact, you're in luck. I brought a few stickers with me this morning, and I'm happy to give them to you. We've got this Davidson Wildcat RUF sticker, and then we've also got this kind of patagonia e. Davidson, at Davidson as it is in heaven sticker. So they look great on water bottles. They look great on, on your car. Um, come see me after the service. I'd love to give these out. Uh, my only caveat is if you take one of these stickers from me, I would just ask that you, whenever you glimpse the sticker on your water bottle or on your car, that you would just offer a prayer for Davidson. It can be short. It can be, Lord, pour out your spirit on Davidson. So would you do that? I'd, I'd love for that. Even if you don't get a sticker, would you pray for the Lord to pour out his spirit on Davidson? And, and speaking of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, uh, with today being Pentecost, I actually want to ask you to do something with me. Um, I've never done this before. I don't know if anyone's done this before. But you know how during Easter we do this kind of call and response sometimes where we say, he is risen, he is risen indeed, right? Well, with today being Pentecost, I want to say uh, the Holy Spirit has come and I'd invite you all to say, he has come indeed. So would you do that with me? The Holy Spirit has come. He has come indeed. Amen. Um, today, we're wrapping up our short little two-part mini-series on Jesus in need. If you were here a couple weeks ago, uh, we had said that Jesus is the most dependent human being to ever live. He was the neediest human being to ever live. And we, we talked about that image of that, that adult man in the, in the restaurant. If you overheard him saying, I can't do anything on my own. I can only do what I see my father doing. You know, we might think, man, that's weird. That's what Jesus said. He was completely dependent upon his father. And, uh, you know, we saw from John 4 last time, and Jesus, the famous passage of Jesus meeting the woman at the well, at Jacob's well, we saw that Jesus needed to be a human being in order for salvation to come to that village of Samaria, that village of Sychar. You know, he needed to stop for rest. And had he not done that, the gospel of grace, the gospel of salvation might not have reached those people. We also said that, that Jesus needed to be human to bring salvation to us. He had to partake of our human nature in order to redeem and restore our human nature. And we had said last time that, look, Christian life, the, the Christian life and Christian ministry 
is an apprenticeship, apprenticeship with Jesus in recovering our humanity and through the Holy Spirit helping others to do the same. Jesus doesn't want us to be more than human. He wants us to be more human. So that was last time when we looked at Jesus, his physical needs, his, his physical limitations, his need to be like us. This morning, we're going to consider another one of Jesus' needs, which is his need for love. So that's the theme for this morning. Jesus needed love. And in particular, from Mark 1, the, one of the passages that Jan just read for us, I want us to see that Jesus needed to receive love from his heavenly Father. So Jesus needed to receive love, is the first point. And then the second point from Mark 12 is that Jesus needed to extend love. He needed to extend the love of his heavenly Father. So two points, Jesus needed to receive love, Jesus needed to extend love. Before we jump into these passages, would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we do ask that you would come. We need your help in hearing your voice, the voice of Christ, the loving, doting voice of our Heavenly Father. We need your help this morning. Would you help us um, to pay attention to your word? Would you speak in and through me? Would you cut us to the quick? Search our hearts and know us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So first point, Jesus needed to receive the love of his heavenly Father. You know, three of the four gospel accounts record in detail the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. And um, I'm going to read this passage again since it was so short. It is so short. But this is how Mark in particular describes what happened when Jesus was baptized. So this is Mark 1, 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. Notice that before Jesus started his public ministry, before he would go around preaching the good news about the arrival of God's kingdom, he had to be baptized. He had to associate with sinners, the sinners he came to save. And not only that, he had to hear his father say over him, I love you, son. I'm so proud of you. Before he did anything, right? He had to hear that his, his heavenly father loves him. Uh, just a little over a year ago, I, I promised Dean, I don't know if Dean's still, there you are. I promised Dean for a golf illustration, so here you go. This one's for you, Dean. Um, a little over a year ago, I was watching a PGA Tour event on TV. Uh, it was, for those of you that are curious, there's probably three of you in the room, it was the Dell, the Dell match play in Austin. Um, so I was watching the, the final round, and um, it ended up being won by this relatively unknown, at least nationally, uh, outside of golf circles, he was unknown, but this up-and-coming star named Scotty Scheffler. And um, this tournament was, was especially significant for him because uh, not only did he win it, but by winning it, he became the world number one golfer. I mean, imagine being able to, to like, you know, go to sleep at night thinking, I am the best golfer in the world. There is no one better at this than me. 
I mean, just imagine being able to say that, you know, for your own profession, right? Like, I'm the best mortgage lender in the world. There is no one that lends mortgages better than me. You know, I'm the best teacher in the world. I'm the best nurse in the world. Like, that's, that's overwhelming stuff, right? What I will never forget about this tournament, though, is not how good Scotty was at golf, not how decisively he won the tournament. I'll remember the interaction between he and his dad that the camera crew picked up off the 18th green. So as normal, when, when a, someone wins a golf tournament, usually the family kind of runs onto the green and kind of congratulates them, right? It's, you know, it's, it's emotional, people are crying. This was the same thing. But you know, the, the cameras and the mics picked up the exchange between Scotty and his dad. I'll never forget this. This is what Scotty's dad said to him. He said, I love you, Scotty. I am more proud of who you are than your golf. You are a wonderful young man. I'm, I mean, it brought tears to my eyes then. I'm getting a little choked up even right now just thinking about it. Why is that? Here is a father who loves his son not for what he's accomplished, as amazing as it is, but simply for who he is. He's his son. Can you imagine your mom or your dad saying something like that to you? You know, maybe even during one of your proudest moments, one of your greatest accomplishments, y you've just, you know, if you're, if you're let's say you, you play soccer, right? You've just won the championship game. And your mom and dad says, I am way more proud of you for who you are than for the game that you just won, right? Maybe you, um, you've just graduated from high school, right? I'm way more proud of the man you are than the fact that you made it four years through high school. I mean, how freeing is that? I mean, s some of you here, can, you can imagine that because you did have parents like that. But some of us, others of us, we have a hard time grasping it. And maybe we're even to maybe we're tempted to think like, really? Like, my accomplishments don't matter? Like, I can't earn any more of your love by doing all these things for you? It can kind of be humbling at the same time. If you're in that boat, if you haven't had an earthly parent say those words of you, I want, you to, I want you to hear me say this. And it's actually something that, that my counselor told me years ago, my therapist told me years ago. He said to me, Andrew, every child needs to hear their father say, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. If we don't hear those words, we will desperately, desperately try to fill that void with all sorts of stuff, which is where, you know, idols come from. Right? Things that we worship apart from God, which is where addictions come from, things that we use to try to numb ourselves, right? Jesus was no different. Before he could step out into the world stage in public ministry, you know, before he had to wrestle with, with the world, the flesh, and the devil, he had to hear his father say, I love you, Jesus. I am more proud of who you are than your ministry. You are a wonderful young man. Jesus needed to receive and rest in his Father's great love for him, and so do you. So do you. And so the good news of the gospel is this. No matter what your earthly parents were like, 
You have a heavenly Father who loves you and is proud of you if you're united to his son Jesus through faith. In fact, this is the very reason that Jesus came, to bring all of us into the overwhelming love of the Father. That was his mission. So actually, this brings us to our second point in our second passage from Mark 12. Not only did Jesus need to receive his Father's love, he needed to extend it as well. So in Mark chapter 12, when Jesus was put to the test by a scribe of the Pharisees, this would have been uh, one of the just the most studied, smartest religious teachers of the day, right? Um, knows, Knows his Bible inside and out, knows the word of God, the law of God inside and out. When a scribe of the Pharisees put Jesus to the test, Jesus, drawing from the words of Moses in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, he summarized the entire law into two commands. So the, the scribe tested him. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus said this. He said, love God and love neighbor. Right? Right? Love your the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you, you want to obey God? Do you want to please him? Do you want to grow closer to him? Love God and love neighbor. Right? Jesus preached a message of love. But he didn't just preach it, he lived it. He didn't just talk the talk. He also walked the walk. He, he put into practice what he preached. He loved God and neighbor. And so I just want to give you a few examples. I want to show you how Jesus did this. These are from, from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of the different gospel accounts. Um, I don't care so much that you try to retain everything I'm about to say. Just listen for one word in common across all these passages. So the first one up is Matthew chapter 9. And in that part of God's word, uh, Jesus is going throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel. And he's healing every disease and every affliction. And then verse 36 of chapter 9 says this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And listen, uh, later in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 20, Jesus heals two blind men. And this is what Matthew 20, verse 34 says about this healing. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Switching over to Mark's gospel, later in Mark chapter 1, Jesus heals a leper. And this is how Mark describes the, the, the scene. When a leper came to Jesus and said, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Mark records that Jesus, in verse 41, was moved with compassion. And he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. I could go on and on, but what key word do you keep hearing over and over in all those passages? It's the word compassion. Jesus had compassion on those he came to heal and to save. He came to extend the compassionate love of God. His ministry was and is a ministry of love. And we see that all the way up 
even until his death. In fact, Jesus says in John 15 that greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus demonstrated the great love of God the Father in going to the cross and saving his people from their sins. If I could be so bold, I would, I would put it this way. Christianity, right, our Christian faith, is not primarily about our great love for God, but about his great love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I'm sure you've heard that before. Maybe your eyes kind of glazed over right then as I recited John 3.16. Maybe you're wondering, okay, I've heard that. What difference does this make? Like, bring this home. So what? And this is, this is what I want to focus on for the rest of our time together. How does this change our lives? And I would suggest it changes our lives in two ways. And the first way is this. The love of God fully satisfies the love of God through Christ fully satisfies. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who also happens to be a Presbyterian minister. And uh, we didn't know each other super well. We're still getting to know each other. Um, we've only, yeah, we've only known each other for about a year. Uh, but he actually started sharing the story of how he got ordained. Now, if you didn't grow up Presbyterian, I didn't grow up Presbyterian, um, uh, basically, in order to become a minister in the Presbyterian Church, you have to go through um, a series of, of trial and tribulation. Um, you basically have to go before a, a committee that tests your knowledge of the Bible, of theology, of church history, right? You're vetted. And it's a long, drawn-out process. There's written exams. There's oral exams. This is all after, by the way, you've graduated from seminary. Two different things. So this friend of mine was telling me about his ordination prom, uh, process, and it, it, you know, brought back some, you know, nerves on my end. I was, like, getting the nervous sweats, right? But, um, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, um, during his committee exam, while he's being grilled by these other elders in the church, uh, he actually said to them, he said, look, you all need to know one thing about me. He said, First and foremost, I am a beloved child of God. Then after that, I am a devoted husband and father. And then only after those things am I a minister. And, if, and he said this with humility and graciousness, but also with firmness. He said, if, if, that's, if that doesn't align with what you're hoping for, if that's not going to work, then this isn't going to work meaning he was willing to lay aside and lay down his calling to be a minister to, to, to hold on to what is most important in him and about him, which is he is a beloved child of God. This friend of mine was so fully satisfied in the love of God through Christ, he was willing not to be a pastor to hold on to that love. If if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus, then the love that God the Father has for his only begotten Son is the exact same love he has for you. John 17, verse 23 says that the Father has loved us even as 
he has loved Jesus. That word translated even as can also be translated just as. It can also be translated according to. So the Father has loved us according to the same love with which he loves Jesus. If that doesn't blow your socks off, if that doesn't fully satisfy you, I don't know what will. The same love that Jesus had for his father, or the, the same love that Jesus had from his father, you also have from your heavenly father. And I would actually venture to say this. One of the reasons that Jesus was able to overcome temptation, that he was able to live a completely perfect, sinless life, was that he was fully satisfied in his father's love for him. If you've ever been, or maybe if you currently are, discouraged in your fight against temptation and sin, you know, maybe it feels like you've taken two steps forward with one particular sin, but one step back. Or sometimes it feels like you're taking two steps forward and three steps back, that you're actually getting worse. If you've ever felt that discouragement have you, as you've tried to resist sin and temptation, one of the very best things you can do is saturate yourself in the love of God through Christ for you. Commune with God through prayer, through meditating and, and reading scripture, right? I would, I would specifically say, you know, meditate on 1 John chapter 3, right? The love that the Father has for his Son, he has for us. The extent to which you can fight temptation to sin is the same extent that you're fully satisfied in the love of God. So first, the first so what is the love of God fully satisfies. The second part, this might seem like it contradicts the first part, is that the love of God is never fully satisfied. The love of God is never fully satisfied. Here's what I mean by that. Um, before I became an RUF campus minister, before I came to Davidson, I was an assistant pastor of a church down in South Carolina. And while we were there, while my family and I were there, uh, actually, was, I think within the first year, our church, it actually went through a senior pastor transition. So that the pastor that I came to work with and work under, he actually left the church. And so we were, like North Cross is right now, looking for another senior pastor. And I just want to say that, look, one of the real and pressing temptations that we felt during that pastoral transition, and maybe you can relate to this, is that temptation to start looking inward and to start asking questions, inward-facing questions like, okay, well, well who are we? Uh, what's our mission? What's our vision? A and what do we need? Um, and, to, and to ask questions like, okay, who are we going to lose? Are people going to leave during this transition? How are, our how are our finances? How long, can we, how long can we make it, right? And look, it's only natural to ask those questions. They're going to come up. But what I wished someone had come and told us at our, at our previous church was, was this. Look, God is going to provide for y'all. He, he will provide. Trust him. Look to him. Follow him. And look beyond yourselves. He will take care of your affairs. 
go and take care of his affairs. Right? And by, and by that, I, I think what churches in the midst of a transition really need is for someone to remind them that, look, your life is not about you. Your life is about others. Your life is about those who have not experienced the love of God through Christ. The, the, the church is about the business of its non-members. And so I just want to challenge you and ask you, who is not here? We can focus on who is here, but who is not here? Who in our neighborhoods, who in our work environments have not encountered Jesus through the Bible, through God's word, have not experienced the love of God through Christ? Who needs to hear about the love of God? And so I want to give you a little thought experiment. Imagine, imagine that... Uh, you know, you heard the, the voice of God, the audible voice of God. This will, this will be hard, challenging for a bunch of Presbyterians, I know. But imagine, you can hear God, and what God says to you, as clear as day, is this. He says, he's, look, I'm going to make you the following offer. I promise you that you will have a wonderful, godly, humble pastor. I have him in mind. He's coming. Not only that, I promise that in a short amount of time, you, you're going to enjoy some really nice, refurbished new facilities. And guess what? I've seen to the future, your finances are going to be great. They're going to be healthy. They're going to continue strong. Um, your attendance is going to increase. Leaders are going to rise up from within your midst, and you're going to train them to be godly leaders in the church. Right? Imagine God promised you all of that, but he said, but there's one catch you will never again witness another conversion. You will never again see someone who was not a Christian standing up here getting baptized into the family of God. To the extent that you are tempted to take that deal, that's the same extent that your heart has not been won over by the love of God through Christ. And so I would encourage you, return to your first love. That's the love that's going to drive you beyond yourselves. That's the love that's going to lift your head and look and see people that haven't heard the good news, and they need to hear this good news. People who have not received the Spirit that need to receive the Spirit. God is going to take care of your business. Go and take care of his business. That's why I can say the love of God is never fully satisfied. Because the love of God that we have within us, it always is going to propel us outward. It has to. It can't not do that. I mean, we have found, we have tasted something so rich, so sweet, so true, so powerful, so satisfying as the love of God that makes us children of God that we're not satisfied with that just staying here and remaining with us. That love needs to get out. And so I'll end with this. Who is not here? Who's not here? This week, this very week, go and love them. Go and show them the love of Christ. Right? It can be something as simple as texting a coworker and saying, hey, I've been thinking about you. Let's get together. Let's go grab a beer. 
right? If one person in this room go, goes and does that this week because of what you've heard this morning, amen. Maybe you want to invite, maybe your family wants to invite the family down the street over for dinner one, one evening, right? Go and share the love of Christ with those who have yet to experience the love of Christ. Jesus needed to receive his Father's love and he needed to extend his Father's love too. And the same is true of us. So would you do that this morning? Would you receive the love of God? Would you extend the love of God so that each and every one of us can say with conviction, I am a beloved child of God. And so that we can go and reach our neighbors with that same love. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us with faith, that we might receive the love that you are offering each and every one of us this morning. Would you help us to turn from lesser loves, and would you help us to turn to your infinite love and compassion for us in Jesus? It's in his name that we pray. Amen.